Bald Man Campus is presented by QuickBooks. New business? No problem. Success starts with the Do-It QuickBooks. Learn more at QuickBooks.com. That's QuickBooks.com. Bald Men on Campus. With Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Old Man on Campus. Uh, you know, we're getting to the finish line. And uh, as we get to the finish line, I'm joined by the Esquire himself, Jake Billis, whose hair is going back on defense. He's been going back on defense for a long period of time, and that's why Coach K made him a screener. And then LaFonso Ellis, who has multiple rings, but one very big ring because he's in the ring of honor. And since that point, he's become a bald-headed diva. But it's a bald-headed <laughs> diva that we absolutely love. So, <laughs> fellas, we had, we were part of a historic weekend this weekend, but a lot of stuff was going on in college basketball. See, Pete, I'm telling you, the phone's ringing off the hook. I mean, we're in demand. It's you know, the end of the year, and people want to know, so the phone's ringing. But uh, what are your guys' biggest takeaways from this past weekend? Taylor, can you hit the promo? Not only are they bald and beautiful. Bald! You're bald! They all have very large brains. Quick as body It's time for knowledge game. Well, you know, we we put so much energy and effort and attention on Duke, North Carolina. We always do, but this was more like a royal wedding than anything else I've seen in the game. <laughs> but and it was fun and appropriate, and we had a we had a great time. Uh, I was a little surprised that so many people were surprised that it was a close game. Uh, I really believed it would be. After watching the tape uh, multiple times of the first game, you know, Carolina missed so many open shots. They had so many opportunities. And, you know, I really felt that that the best place to attack Duke was going to be the middle third of the floor. Uh, and once North Carolina put the ball in R.J. Davis's hands and let him run it, uh, it, it took Caleb Love off the ball and let him concentrate on scoring and, uh, and they, they spread the floor and they attacked the middle third and, and that sort of roll pop action they used, uh, they were able to get downhill and really, I mean, I, I don't know that they had more than two turnovers in the second half. And this is one thing about Duke that, that most people haven't really talked about. You know, we talk about them being an old school defensive team, an old school Duke defensive team. They don't force turnovers. And actually, in ACC play, they're underwater in turnover margin. They're they're minus one point nine or something like that. So it's not a turnover forcing team. And so Carolina kind of had their way attacking Duke in that with that middle ball screen action, and it worked beautifully. Uh, but the idea that it wasn't going to be a close game really really kind of stunned me after what happened in Chapel Hill. You know, Carolina's got a lot of pride, and they're good. They're just not deep, but they're good. And uh, and so I thought it was a great game plan. It was really well executed. And I thought it was a fabulous, you know, fabulous game. It just didn't go according to the script that everybody expected with all that was going on. And I agree uh, with the offensive game plan, Jay. And part of that, and we talked about it all week, is our, for them to win that game, Armando, they had to get good guard play, but they did. But they also, Armando Bacon had to stay out of foul trouble. And I, he was absolutely fantastic and he was catching the basketball whether it's on a roll situation or a straight post and he was making quick decisions with the basketball and people don't realize that you know it's not easy to score over mark williams i mean that kid 611 bouncy with long arms and at times jay he was abusing him down in the low block and so uh everything that needed to go well good guard play Armando baycott staying out of foul trouble went well for North Carolina and, and they, they were superb. They were, they were the better team on the floor in my mind, even in the first half when they, when Duke seemed to start to get a little bit of separation, Paolo Carroll started to go off. Um, they, they still looked like the more confident and the better team out there on the floor and it proved to be so in the end. Fonz, I, I agree with you. you said, here's a couple of things I thought that, that were interesting. Number one, I don't think we talked enough about job leaky black did on AJ Griffin. I thought he was terrific. I thought he absolutely used his size, his length. He got out to shooters. He got out to them. He made it hard. I mean, he took him out of the game. That first game, A.J. Griffin was terrific. Now, I, you know, I thought that that was a really, really big piece. And then, Jay, I, I 100% agree. R.J. Davis uh, was phenomenal. He was not good. He was phenomenal. His decision-making, his decisions in terms of when to attack, when not to attack. He was selectively aggressive. 
in terms of scoring and throwing that pass back. I was surprised that Duke didn't make any adjustment on that, on that ball screen action. Uh, early on, they switched it. Later on, they just kind of tried to string it out a little bit. But uh, I, I just thought Carolina's game plan offensively, defensively was was phenomenal. And I probably the last thing I, I thought that Duke ran out of gas at the end of the game, and 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 I can understand it. it you know, I, the day was a long day for us. I can't even imagine what the last few days have been for their players. It had nothing to do with preparation. It had nothing to do with their loose group. It had nothing to do with anything else. But Carolina was really good, and you know, I thought that that Duke ran out of gas. But the same problem comes up at the end of a game. They have so many light guys. At the end of a game, you think you could have, and I was talking to PJ Carlissimo about this the other day. Can you have so many pretty good players that you don't know who you're going to play with, play through at the end of a game? I mean, is that, do you, do you guys think that that could be something that they, for sure, they got to figure it out against the NCAA tournament, unless they just decide they're going to attack a matchup? I, uh, like, do you think they just have, you know, Kiels can go get to the rim? And obviously, Becaro, although in the second half he wasn't as aggressive. Obviously, you can play through him. Obviously, Wendell Moore can make a big shot. Do you guys have an opinion on it? Like they have to clearly define how they want to play the last five minutes of the game. I'm not. I'm not as worried about that, Seth. Um, You know, I think they did devolve in the second half into a little more iso ball, and uh, you know, they clearly had a go-to guy, and it was Bancaro, and they went to him. He took 26 shots. It wasn't that he didn't get shots. It was the quality of shot and the quality of defense he was going against. And, you know, Carolina did a, a much better job in the second half of, of they weren't extended as much. So they would, you know, they could close out the shooters instead of, you know, hugging up on them and denying and things like that. So I think they were a little better of, of letting Bancaro see bodies instead of wood. You know, in the first half, he saw a lot of wood and was able to, to attack mm-hmm. one-on-one. In the second half, he saw, he saw a lot more bodies. I still think, I mean, I thought it at the time, I think I said it, but but I thought the last three minutes of the first half were the most important point in the game because Duke was looking to yeah. stretch that thing out. I think they were up eight and they were in a, a pretty good position to stretch it out. And Carolina cut it to two by the half. And to me, that was the that was the game. And it didn't mean, you know, when Duke was up two, I think it was 41-39 at halftime when they were up two that they weren't going to win. That, that didn't mean that. But it meant they had a they had a real fight on their hands, and uh, and Carolina outfought them, and that was their theme. You know, I think Hubert Davis said it after the game. He told me before the game, like our our whole thing is fight. Like we didn't fight them in Chapel Hill, and we're, we came here to fight, and they did. Uh, you know, I think he used a Pat Riley thing, whom he played for in the NBA, of plant your feet, stand your ground, and fight back. And uh, and that doesn't sound like a game plan, but it was the start of one. Obviously, they had an X and O game plan. They executed beautifully. But but the the fight that they brought, like it, you know, in that game, and I think we've talked about that in the Duke Carolina game, it's not enough to come ready to play. You got to come ready for a fight because it's a fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, um, I've, I've I've watched him just because I, I I just love Paolo Bancaro and uh, you know have a fascination with his size and speed, his quickness, his versatility. And as I'm watching him, he gets tired uh, around the under nine minute mark in the second half and deservedly so. He's just trying to defend, rebound and create offense for himself and his teammates. And I thought he got tired. And uh, I used to hate when John McLeod, my senior year, would pull me out of the game because I wouldn't play the whole game. But he, he proved to me that my efficiency went down when he would play me the entire uh, second half. And uh, as as we get, I know I know the timeouts are longer in the NCAA tournament, et cetera. But I, I think for him, because he he's short on a lot of shots that he typically kind of gets a little, takes one more dribble, gets to uh, near the front of the rim, and then uses his length to have to put it off the glass over the top. And he short armed at least five shots when he got into the lane in the second half. And I'm looking at his face, his his, his body language, and I look up, so I was like, that dude, that dude is tired. And so for he's clearly basketball too in late game situations. I, I think they're going to have to use either the under eight uh, right before the under eight, uh, get him out maybe at the nine minute mark so he can get a full rest and come out so he can be a better closer because uh, he, he this is probably the fourth time now in late game situations that he's short arming those shots. And I think it's because he's fatigued. 
I haven't looked at the tape yet, Fonz, but one of the things I would say, like, you know, Duke had a go-to guy. They knew what to do when they were late game against Clemson. They went to Bankero. The that, difference to me it was what, what, what they did. I, I thought some of the other players stood and watched too much. Very, very and true. and very there true. was there was not enough movement when Bancaro had the ball. So so they didn't move the defense as much. And Bancaro was basically going one on four at times. Yes. That's not his. I'm not saying that's anybody. That's his fault. No, sure, sure. It was that's the overall true. team's fault um, mm-hmm. for uh, and responsibility because I, I felt like there was too much standing and watching of him to make a play. Yeah. But those things are all correctable. I mean, as yeah. all of us know, that's one game. And how many times have we seen a, a team lose their last game of the season or get beat in the semifinals of the, the conference tournament mm-hmm. and then go on to make a, a great run, if not win it, in the NCAA tournament? That happens all the time. I mean, I, I think we saw a stat recently that if you're a conference champion, if you win your conference tournament, uh, oftentimes, you know, the, the last, I don't know how many champions, haven't, haven't won their conference tournament. So it's it's not the be all and end all. Teams can lose and still still do really well in the championship event. I agree with both of you. The one thing I would say is you know, in talk, talking about the movement, like the Clemson game, he got a, that ball mid post, left side, posted yep. up. He went. Everyone knew exactly where they were. If they doubled him, there were dives. There was you know there was fills. There was weak side action. That's what I mean about like if you're going to go to him, right? What where does he where does he exactly does he want the ball? And then if he catches the ball there. And the defense makes an adjustment. Everyone needs to know. If my guy leaves, I'm done. I'm filling. We're going to swing it, make the extra pass. And the extra pass, it's going to be A.J. Griffin because he's our best shooter. Whatever about that last three minutes of this first half. Hubert bringing Armando Baycott back in the game was one of those risk and rewards. He trusted him enough. Boy, I'll tell you one thing. That was a, that was great, a great decision. I mean, it was a great decision. That was not the only game this past weekend. Fonz, you have a takeaway from this week away from Duke? Yeah, Seth, I, I've, I've been watching them closely and been really impressed. It's Memphis. I mean, obviously, they started out a top 25 team, really struggled with some chemistry issues along the way after starting out the season. I think they won five straight, and then they lost eight of their next 12. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they've won either 10 of their last 11 or nine of their last 10, including top ranked, uh, top 25 team in Houston twice. And what I'm seeing is, I mean, we, we know they played – harassing pressure defense, uh, 94 feet. They trap you in the half court. They try to frenzy the game so they can get out and get easy uh, points in transition. And and early on, uh, even when they were winning, I didn't feel like they were enjoying each other and and, and playing the game for each other. And and over the last couple of games, particularly, Tyler Harris has been terrific. That dude comes off the bench and he's a pace He's a pace setter and pacemaker with his speed uh, up the floor. He's knocking down his three balls. He's getting e- easier opportunities for guys like Lester Canones. And I, I, I really like the way that they're playing the game right now. They're playing for each other. And I, and I tell you what, I don't know what their seed's going to be, but if they end up being a high seed, uh, they, they, if they end up being kind of that nine to ten area, they're going to be problematic for a lot of teams because their their length is real. Um, Williams is terrific. Uh, Jalen During, 6'11", long-arm, rebounding guy. And, 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 and it's interesting, Seth, because they're, they're getting him the basketball in the place where he likes it. They have him in pick-and-roll situations where he's a tremendous lob threat. They're playing him on that low baseline side there when they're able to get in the gap. The big helps up. They're throwing lobs. And then occasionally they're giving him little touches here in the post. And uh, DeAndre Williams, I think, is the best player on that team. He's playing with great points. So they can hurt you in many different ways. I think uh, there's top six players averaging between nine and 12 points a game. Any one of those guys can go off for 20. And I'm really impressed. Penny's done a great job. But also, these kids seem to really enjoy playing with each other. And uh, they're very, they're going to be a very dangerous and very tough out in the NCAA tournament. I love the way Memphis is playing right now. Mine is Murray State. Uh, Murray State is 30 and two, and they're going to be a four seed in the tournament, maybe a five, but they'll be right in that range. And whomever they play is going to get a, a stud team. KJ Williams is a, a big time scorer, uh, post player, can step away a little bit. And Tevin Brown is fantastic. And Justice Hill averaged about five assists a game, 13 points. He had 21 against Moorhead State. They're legit. 
And I know they don't have John Moran anymore, so they haven't been on SportsCenter as much. But but you don't go 30-2 and two in that league unless you're really good. And they performed really well in the non-conference. They, they're legit. And and they're gonna they're gonna not only beat somebody they're gonna they're gonna embarrass somebody in the tournament, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the Sweet 16 with a chance to win once they get there because when you've got interior scoring and really good guard play, most of the mid major teams we've seen do really well have to be not only have really good guards but they have to be able to score and and guard in the post, and and Murray State can do that. Uh, this is not just a, a guard team that's going to race around against you. They've got interior power as well. I agree with you there, Jay. I think that they are dynamic defensively and offensively. Tevin Brown's not a good shooter. He's a great shooter. Williams carves out space, and he'll he'll just he's explosive. But I think they're they're really really good on the defensive end. Fonz, in terms of Memphis, I, you know I look at Memphis. They're playing their old guys. You know, in this winning streak, they're assisting on 63% of their field goals. Yep. I had someone look it up for me. 63% of field goals they're assisting on during this winning streak. The, 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 he's short in his bench. The roles are clearly defined. Those four seniors, you know, to me, or upperclassmen, Nolly, Quinones, Williams, and Harris, have become the focal point of what they're doing. Obviously, Duran and Minot have been very good. But those guys have become the focal point. And once they've made that commitment, they became the better defensive team because they're playing their older, more mature, tougher guy, kind of the back to who they were last year when they won the NIT. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think you know, my, my one takeaway from the weekend is, and maybe it's, you know, it's selfish because he's a friend of mine, you know, Tom is a, uh, you know, sur- you know, surprising uh, coach Knight in, in Big Ten wins. That's a, you know what, if you think about that, that's a heck of an accomplishment from, you know, being a graduate assistant at Michigan State grinding away, doing all the work, nothing was handed to him, you know, continuing to grow on what Coach Heathcote was able to accomplish at Michigan State, the consistency in what they've been able to do, uh, doing it kind of his way, you know, and and seeing, you know, it, it goes back to the same thing. I, I don't care if you have a relationship with your players, you can coach them as hard as you want. And, you know, and Tom coaches them probably to an excess. But seeing those kids and how excited they were for him, and, you know, seeing the growth of some of those guys that we've all watched kind of because they mostly do it with four-year guys kind of grow, whether it's Marcus Bingham, whether it's Gabe Brown, it was kind of cool. But uh, the last play of the game I thought was just, just so appropriate. Steven Izzo gets a steal, probably his first steal of the season. And he's yeah. flying up the floor like he's going to score and the game is over. And, like, Tom's, like, trying to slow him down and he's, like, losing his mind and everyone's losing their mind. And like, he's still like, you better not shoot, you know, like <laughs> I just thought it was a pretty cool moment. And, uh, it's a heck of an accomplishment. I mean, when you think about coach Knight and what he's, you know, what he meant to big 10 basketball, he was big 10 basketball and at every level as a player and as a coach to suit, you know, to surpass that, that milestone is it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Tom Izzo is one of the greatest coaches in the history of American sport, not just basketball. And it goes way beyond uh, his his ability to coach a team. Uh, he has he is pure of heart. Um, you know, and, and look, people can agree or disagree with your stance on a particular issue. He is old school, and I mean that in a good way. Uh, he is old school. Uh, so maybe the changes that are going on in in college sports right now, he is not a fan of. And while he and I have differed over a few policy issues. One thing I have never questioned is the reasoning behind it, because what, when Tom differs with something, it's not about this is how it should be for the game. He, he differs because he doesn't think it's in the best interest of the players and their development. And it is pure. Like the, the, there is no argument with that. And he would never get an argument with me on the reasons why. And there, there, is, there is no person in, in the game that I respect more than, than Tom. Nobody. And there is nobody, I, there's nobody, other, you know, I've obviously played for Coach K, so I don't have to wish about it, but there's nobody I wish I had played for more than Tom Izzo. Hmm. I would have loved to have played for him. Problem is he would have recruited me and he would have, he would have declared me WWP. I would have been the world's worst player under him. He, he would have, <laughs> that, that would have been my nickname. Uh, that's awesome. When I think of uh, Izzo, I think of his, his team's toughness, defense, 
rushing that basketball up the floor and, and said it couldn't have happened to a greater guy. I'm grateful uh, to have gotten to know him a little bit. I didn't know him personally before. And he, he's, he's so cordial and energetic. And, and yeah, I, I just love watching his teams play. And for him to uh, surpass Coach Knight, uh, significant. And I'm really happy for him. Listen, hey, Seth, listen to Fonz here. He's so cordial and all this stuff. Uh, Izzo kisses Fonz's ass just like everybody else does. You know, <laughs> He's God. in the ring. What can the, I the say? Diva I thing. Mean... <laughs> this is how he treats me, basketball royalty. It, it has nothing to do with anything else, uh, anything other than that. The, he rolls he, out the red carpet, me. throws rose petals at my Notre Dame feet. Ridiculous. <laughs> this diva thing is totally out of control. Your, your new you nickname is Beyonce. Me. You are now you Beyonce. Guys, I, I can't believe it. That, 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 that's how it goes, right? So, so you guys create the diva, and you guys create you guys criticize the diva. You can't have it both ways. Oh yeah, exactly. That's exactly that's what we're having. <laughs> that's fair. We we did you, create you, this you, monster. <laughs> hey, you, you say cordial, and he tells me I'm blanking a freaking idiot. So, I mean, <laughs> and the problem is, and Billis agrees with him. <laughs> Both can be true. I told you he was perceptive. <laughs> Rub those bald heads like crystal balls and take a look into the future. Hey, we got a special guest coming up, but before we get to that, real quickly. Conference tournament you're most looking forward to. Obviously, we're going to be at the ACC, but just that the intrigue of the conference tournament that kind of most kind of kind of gets you excited to see maybe a, a bid steal, maybe maybe a team that can improve their their seating, or just like finding out. All right, yeah, this team is is that good? Mountain West, mm-hmm. Boise yeah. State, uh, Colorado what? State, San Diego State, um, it, it, Wyoming, Utah State. Um, Wyoming, I, I saw the, and we can ask Joey Brackets about this. I keep seeing Wyoming outside of the tournament. And I'm like, what? Like, how is that possible? You know, they're 20, 20 win team that, that is really talented with, uh, with EK and Maldonado. I mean, if that's not a tournament team, I'm afraid of, of what we think a tournament team really is or what the committee might think, but who, who knows? I mean, it's still, we got still got time, but that tournament, uh, we could see, a bid steal out of that. We could see a big shot get beat because I don't think there's a ton of separation in that league, even though the top teams are really good. It's, it's very balanced yeah. top to middle. And I would not be surprised to see something, something really fun happen in that tournament. I'm telling you, Utah State's played everyone to the last possession. They, they could go and win that tournament because they can score. Yeah, mine is. And, and I'm excited about that one. My, my, my intrigue has been the uh, big 10 tournament. And part of that is, uh, how about Illinois? I mean, with Wisconsin going down to Nebraska the other day, they got a share of the Big Ten title. Didn't really see that one coming, and they they haven't had a share of the they haven't had a share of the Big Ten title I think since 04, 05. and I think that's going to set up for a unbelievably competitive Big Ten tournament. I can't wait to take that one in. Yeah, I think speaking of Wisconsin, we didn't mention it, but Johnny Davis he took a serious fall. I don't yeah. know what I don't know where these even to be eligible. Uh, available for the Big Ten tournament. But that that has a significant effect because and I will ask Joey Brackett's like injury impacts seating, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, or how a team is perceived because you know how healthy will they be, you know, when the tournament begins. And I think that'll be a I think that'll be an interesting, uh an interesting situation. You know, to me it's the Big 12. And the only reason is because I want one last look at at Baylor and I want one last look at Kansas. I mean, look, the tournament's going to be a rock fight. We know that it's going to be hard to score. It's going to be physical. It's, you know, you know, most of the guys are keeping it on one side of the floor, uh, you know, and, and it's not exactly a team that scores it, a league that scores it easy. But, you know, I look at Kansas, all right. Randy Martin's been out a long time. He's playing a little bit of minutes, but he obviously hasn't been the guy that we all thought he probably could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the other hand, you see Baylor and Fonz, you've been on, on this. Baylor's a team that it almost looks like they've emerged post JTT and yep. found themselves everyone basically doing what they do well. Now, obviously, Adam Flagler's playing off a of, off of bum leg, but they still have enough versatility. Because, like, Flo Thomas is going to put 20 minutes or 22 minutes, whatever he would have played if JTT was there, because they hardly ever played together. 
So basically, you're trained. JT team is ability to defend ball screens and his ability to bring energy and his ability to get to glass and all those. And, and you're flipping it for another skilled player, maybe a couple more minutes out of Thamba and, and another skilled player in and Jeremy Sohan. This team has gotten better in the last two weeks. We saw it when we were there. And then I have gone back and watching their last few games. They're surviving. They're doing what they do even a little bit better. Uh, Kendall Brown's passing and athleticism, Sohan's versatility and ball skills, bringing bigs away when they go to that small lineup. Flagler making shots. Uh, your guy, Matt Meyer, kind of settling into his, his new spot on the scouting report. They, they, you know, shoot, I, I, didn't, I thought they'd go, you know, I remember we did our, our, our top mm-hmm. 16. I, I said it. I thought maybe they would, they would go in the other direction. They might mm-hmm. end up at number one if they win the end of the first tournament. <laughs> So yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm, I was way off on that. Same. Well, but it, it goes to show to, to everyone that even late in the season, teams not only can improve, but they can, in a way, reinvent. And yeah. that's one of the things that, that amazes me about Baylor is they've, they've had a lot of challenges this year and they've continued to keep plugging and yeah. like a lot of a lot of these teams out there, look, we're not going to see it because it's going to happen behind closed doors. But that is sort of going back to our point earlier about, you know, if you lose in your conference tournament, one of the benefits of losing is you get to go home when everyone's not watching anymore and not paying attention and kind of get to work. And and there have been a lot of teams that have done that over the years and have really benefited from it. And, you know, it, it's a, I think it can be a mistake to uh, focus too much on what happened in the last loss uh, over what's happening in practice. And again, we can't see it. I'm not saying we can, but what's happening in practice in the week before they get to their first tournament game, because teams can make a significant jump late in the season uh, because improvement is not over uh, as the season ends. You can still improve into the postseason and during the postseason because it's a long slog. Let me ask yeah. you guys this question just real quickly. If I, you know, I don't, Jay, you played in the ACC tournament. Like you play in a tournament, you know, you're playing three games in three days. Maybe some teams, obviously, they're in a way they play four games in four days. But you're playing a bunch of games in a short period of time. And then you get thrown into that Thursday game. Say you play that Sunday game, it's an SEC. All right. So tournament's over. You get to go home on 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 Sunday, unwind. You just play three games in a row. You got to give your guys a day off, maybe even a day and a half off. You're traveling on Wednesday, probably or Tuesday night, to get somewhere. If you're playing Thursday, how hard how hard do you guys think that is? You know, we we went through that when I was at Long Beach State. We played that last one of the last Sunday games, and then we'd always end up having to play the times we made turn. We had to play that Thursday game, and it was you know, they kept us in the world but it was always different in terms of your uh, how your your, your 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 approach would be and, and your routine would be. How, how did, like, Jed, you played in the tournament. Did you guys win the tournament your, your senior year? We did, yeah. And uh, and it yes. was... How, how was it playing that? Because you were playing three games, right? Yeah. It was, it, it, you know, the tournament's always difficult, but it's the most fun thing of the year for players because the coaches can't beat the crap out of you with preparation for each game. So you actually just get to play instead of, of, you know, a week in between and all that stuff and going through, you know, the heavy duty prep. So you'd already played those teams twice, whoever you played in the tournament, you played them twice in the regular season. So you knew, you knew the scouting report, you knew all that stuff, um, but you just got to play. And, and one thing that's different about now of the many things that are different about now than 20, 30 years ago, is the recovery of players now, the sports science they use for recovery, hydration, you name it, electronic stem, you know, cold pools, it's next level. I mean, heck, when we were at when we were at Duke for the, the Carolina game, you know, I didn't notice this during the season, but under underneath each seat on the bench are these massage guns. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would have loved to have had that as a player. Right. Um, you know, you got all these techniques for recovery. So these players are better off now to be able to play as hard as they do. And they play, they have to do more than, than players did years ago. Like, like look, Fonz, when, when we were playing, we didn't yeah. have to get out and guard ball screens and then get back and protect the rim and protect the yeah. paint and all this stuff. 
our, our movement uh, in the course of a, uh, a possession was, was much less than, than these guys have to do now, but their recovery is much greater. Uh, their ability to recover and all that, you know, their nutrition is better. Everything's better. So they're in a better position to recover. But, but Seth, your, your point about, you know, the short time after, you know, you play on Saturday night or whatever, then you got a Thursday game. It depends on who you talk to with that stuff. It, it's kind of like what, every coach we talk to, uh, says nobody's playing a schedule like us. The league's sticking it to us. We had to play three road games in a row. I mean, and then you talk to the other coach and they say the same thing. Well, we got screwed by the league. We had to go to Syracuse and then we had to come here. I mean, who has to do that? We have the toughest schedule. And then the the ones in the smaller conferences say, now we got 10 days off. What are we going to do with that period? How much time do we get off? How do we re-engage? The other teams are better because they just played. They're still hot and they're still, you know, they're, they're, they're just, they've just played. And then the ones who just played are saying, well, those guys got 10 days off. We only got four days off. What are we going to do? You know, so it, it, it's all kind of a hindsight thing. Yeah, yeah we, we were independent when I was in school, Seth, so I couldn't relate because uh, we were, we were once we played our last game, we went into Sunday waiting to see if we were going to get selected. And then we began to travel uh, on. And I thought Digger did a great job of mixing work rest. So uh, he hit us pretty hard early in the week. And then the rest of the week, because we understood what the system, our defensive system was, is he would just make some tweaks along the way um, and, and have us do a lot. He, I, I can remember us being in hotel rooms. He'd have a big room set aside for us and tape on the floor. And we'd do a lot of walkthrough and film work. And uh, to Jay's point about recovery, uh, Jay, even, even at GCU, uh, a, a, a mid-major like Grand Canyon University, I mean, I'm there going to watch my son play. After the game, man, they, they don't just have like uh, like a burger and some, uh, I don't know, some cottage cheese or something like that for these kids after the game. I mean, they actually have the best, uh, whatever the best, whether it be a, a grilled chicken, uh, a potato or whatever, whatever they've come up with that they think is the best for recovery, it's there even for mid-major teams. So I can imagine what it's like for the high-major teams. So, yeah, the recovery aspect is it is so much better today because of the technology and the access uh, that they have. Fonz, as an independent, how difficult was it for you to recover from playing Friar Tuck and the Sisters of the Poor in your last couple of games and then go into the NCAA tournament? It's a great point. We tried to take care of those early. <laughs> that, that was early season stuff. It all goes back. 20 wins, Jay. 20 Everything wins. goes back to to, to Grand Canyon. It's unbelievable. All roads lead to Grand Canyon. It's, no, no. it's, uh, it's unbelievable. We got the best fan It's, it's we unbelievable. It's unbelievable. We got the Havocs. We got the best fan. And, and if it weren't for Coach K raining on our parade over the weekend, we, we could have got a chance to see the best fans in all the college basketball. We would like to welcome in Joe Lenardi. We appreciate him taking time to visit with us because I know he's in the midst of doing another email to us because last night he <laughs> fell asleep on the wrong side of his bed and obviously had to change things when he woke up because if not, I wouldn't be up to wake up without seeing an email from Joe Lenardi. I know how much Jay Billis looks forward to emails, Joe, so I can't even imagine the rest of the world if they had a chance to join in. So, Joe, right off the top. What are you most interested in going into championship week? A bunch of things, guys. First of all, this is a career highlight for me. Uh, I have wanted to be on, you know, bald men and never thought I would qualify, to be quite honest. So I'm 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 thrilled for that. Uh, I hope you guys don't mind when I when I'm done here. I am going to get my hair done. You know, I'm in Vegas. I'm told that there's some places maybe I can. Yo, you're just going to take that thing off and put it on that little thing. And then this later on, you're going to put it back on. Come on. You can't fool us. Well, I was trying to borrow a skull cap from Martelli, maybe, since he's back on TV so much. Uh, may, 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 maybe, I could, maybe I could get a little, little what for from that. But it, a bunch of things, uh, although this, this will probably get undone momentarily because that's the nature of our sport. But, you know, we're going to talk just endlessly about the top seeds and the bubble and all of that. It, 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 for me, it, it, it's, it's looking fairly ordinary of a process. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of hope that comes to pass because w- when the committee, at least in my eyes historically, is thrown a lot of curveballs, by events of Champ Week, 
that tends to be maybe where it can go off the rails a little bit. Uh, like, look, the top seeds, I think, I, I think it's six teams for four spots. I, I, I think that two of those spots are going to Gonzaga and Arizona, period. So then you've got two Big 12 teams and two SEC teams, uh, Baylor, Kansas, Auburn, Kentucky, in whatever order, flavor, sequence you like. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain there will be a winner of the Big 12 tournament and a winner of the SEC tournament. And if it's from that group, I think that's going to be your top line, uh, provided they – stay with it all the way through the late games on Saturday night, uh, which hasn't always been the case. Uh, so that's, that's the top line. I thought Duke had a path until, you know, Saturday night. I even thought Wisconsin had a path until yesterday metrics, notwithstanding. Uh, but you know, as sad as hopefully Johnny Davis is okay. There is a new rule. Now you cannot be a one C if you lose at home to Nebraska. It's just a new, like they've 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 given us uh given us some corollaries to to go by. So that takes care of that. Maybe a little above the bubble, Seth. And I mean, you guys have been living this even more closely than I. Like that group of four D teams, right? Wake, Notre Dame, Miami. Well, at least until Saturday night, Carolina. Uh, how are they going to distinguish those teams? And frankly. I think the big storyline is how will they treat the ACC as a rule, right? Because I, I think to most of us, at least watching, and, you know, I love you guys, but it's no secret, I'm not an eye test guy. That's why we're, it's never, it's just never going to be my big MO. But like, to me, North Carolina was a tournament team and they just weren't on a piece of paper, a tournament team completely until Saturday night. So you know, they're they're now at least ahead of that group of four. But Notre Dame, Miami, Wake, I don't know who's moving up. I don't know who's moving down. I don't know who's better of the three. I want to say Notre Dame is because I love Fonz. And and then I, I'm not ruling out either Virginia Tech or Virginia uh, because, A, I think they're good enough, and, B, the – Conference tournament brackets going to allow them if they're good to win some games, and and so so that's my eyes are in Brooklyn, ironically, uh, looking at the tobacco road teams. <laughs> Joe, let, let, let me ask you about this eye test thing uh, because I think sometimes uh, it's not particularly defined. I mean, in a way, don't all committee members have to have to have an eye test because you're comparing teams that have played vastly different schedules. So if you have a mid-major, you know, everybody, you know, everybody uh, is going to, aside that from the top teams or a Murray State or something, it's going to lose some games. And, and all, okay. you know, all these games in your league are going to be tough. Uh, but when you're comparing a team that hasn't had the high value targets on their schedule versus mm-hmm. maybe a power five team, like, isn't that where you have to have some sort of eye test uh, capability to be able to say, no, this team belongs? Because, I mean, if we go way back to uh, 2011 or something, I mean, if you don't use the eye test, VCU doesn't get in because on paper they shouldn't have been. But look what they did when they got there. Yeah. Not that that's the not that that's the the determining part right. uh, part or dispositive to the issue. But but how do you how do you factor in the eye test along with the formulaic part of, of looking on paper? Well, he, here's the way I do it. I watch a lot of games. Uh, and, 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 you know, the committee members, let's remember there's 12 of them now. So we wonder how the dynamic might change, but, and, and, and they're given every piece of technology to watch whatever they want, whenever they want. My concern, and I, I think we have more administrators and bureaus in the room who aren't necessarily, and, and Jay, I've heard you say in the past, we need more basketball people. I think maybe where we differ is I think a basketball person can be a lot of things. You know, look, you know, I'm 5'5 on a good day, and I went 0-15 as a CYO coach. 
So, you know, I'm not a traditional baseball person, but obviously I've watched a handful of games over the years. Uh, I think the net, the new measuring tool, while better, has in some ways made it easier and more standardized for them, allow them to be more formulaic and more bureaucratic. And I think, frankly, that's why we've had less kicking and screaming in, in, in the years, the two years plus the pandemic, that the net has been, you know, kind of the coin of the realm. And it's allowing, I want to say non people, but lesser people whose focus maybe in their job is fundraising and organization building. And, and, and it's okay what a modern AD and commissioner has to be. But, but I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. If the three of you were on the committee, uh, I'd be totally fine with that. But that's, that's uh, the Frank, issue, Joe. Like just, when you say, when you say basketball person, I would include you in that. It's yeah. not a question of whether right. you played or coached or anything like that. It's a question of, do you study the game? And your yeah, point is really good about, we have administrators that have other jobs and I'm not, you know, right. like nobody, I'm not saying that all these people should quit their jobs so they can just watch basketball. I'm not suggesting that, but there, there are certainly, we can certainly do better, but, but whomever's on the committee, it is what it is. And I'm fine with it. They do a good job. We just quarrel with this or that. Too. And those are, those are fair, like, like the, the quarrels we have are fair points. Um, and, and they can all take it. That's a plum job. They can take it. It's not an issue. <laughs> but but I was talking more just on the uh, nuts and bolts side of, oh, of right. like, I'm cool with it being formulaic because everybody needs to know what they have to do. And yeah. uh, and they want they want to have a foundation to rely upon. But like, I'm cool with with you and, and any other committee member or Seth or Fonz, me, whatever, using our eyes to say, no, these numbers are telling me a story. But my eyes tell me this story, and I'm going with that with my vote. Um, are you are you comfortable? Like, where does the eye test? I mean, it's probably an impossible question. But where where does the eye test begin and stop for you? If that makes sense, I think it's different for every team. And what you said at the beginning is, how do you compare? You know, a Murray State, which might get two quad one games under the current definition, versus you know, a big 12 team where the, 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 the team that finished last West Virginia is a quad one. Game. Every road game in the big 12 is a quad one game, right? It, it, it's not apples and apples. It's like comparing a slugging first baseman to a slick fielding shortstop. You need both, but, but the, the way you pay and judge them isn't the same. Uh, look, here's a team Davidson. Okay. Yes. You know, I, obviously I see a lot of Atlantic 10 games. I think Davidson can be a second weekend team because I've seen them and I see what they run and, and the shots they get. And look, the past isn't supposed to matter, but like they named the court after Bob McKillop for a reason, right? He's pretty good. And he recruits and has players who are to their system. Now, Davidson is probably going to be a 10 or an 11. Okay. In, to my mind, they're like a seven or an eight, like skill-wise, because they're very skilled. And and then I get in a situation, and and Jay, it's it's like I'm always torn between what I would do and what I think they're going to do, right? And my scoreboard is always the latter, right? It's like at the end of the day, nobody says. <laughs> Would have got all 68 if he was the only voter, right? Like, like I have, you know, if if they pick Tulsa when Tulsa's off the board and has no prayer, or you know, look, we we both hung on the VCU limb a decade ago. Uh, neither of us were wrong because we were following the established guidelines. I, I, but but I don't even know that they made a basketball judgment, right? Although the committee had more quote unquote basketball people at that time. Uh, so this is never going to be a defined thing. I agree. It's better that it's more defined be because look, the people who do have the jobs, 
need need to have a North Star to point to when they're building and scheduling. And 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 look, look, here's how I comfort myself. Like I used to get really nutty, you know, with the team or whatever that I miss. Now I realize that like neither 68 or 69 is winning the national championship. And the great thing about our sport is no one who can is excluded. Right. Like, like the, you know, the difference, let's say between us and, and major college football is like team seven or nine, maybe could win two games. Right. We have those teams in the field and they win. And then they run up and ultimately a team with, you know, better players and then they lose. Uh, and I'm okay with all that. I don't know if that answers your question, Jay. I think uh, I'll die on the hill of never knowing the answer to the question. Let, let me ask you a question, Joe. I mean, like last week, all your bubble teams lost. So they just, <laughs> I, mean, I like, noticed. I mean, if you look, I mean, like they all lost. So like I'm looking at like next four out and, you know, there's a red mark next to boom, 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 boom. Does that open up the door for, in your mind for like say someone to emerge from the mountain west that might you might have an issue with but i mean like legitimately oregon virginia tech uh virginia uh i mean you, you go right i mean I, I'm, I'm sitting there i'm going damn lost 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 so like the thing you know in a rare in a rare occasion the thing did not change so like now you're coming right. to conference, you're coming to conference tournament play and like in 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 the acc i mean like how do you improve yourself when the, your first round game is going to be against the team that doesn't help you at all? But if you win that game, does that help you? Uh, I mean, obviously, if you lose it, you're done, right? I mean, so well, how, do, must how, do you, how do you improve? How do you improve your 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 station in life? Uh, because you know, I look at Oregon, I look at you know Tech, I look at Virginia, I look at you know, like all the teams that mm-hmm. lost this past weekend. Um, and then I look at some of the teams like, you know, you still have like a Texas A&M in there and, uh, and like they're not conference. Yeah. Moves. And they, I mean, they, they can't move up enough. Right. right? They're in there. Who has a legitimate chance of moving up? Uh, that's what the, that's what our listeners yeah. want to know. Right. Indiana can move up because they have games ahead of them that really matter. And, and I don't have the ACC bracket in, in front of me at the moment, but you know, the early games for tech, and for Virginia, are probably more can't lose than must win. They're going to get to a round where they can move. Yeah, I guess Oregon can. I think they're too far off the mark at this point. I think Dayton really can. They had a great one. Um, yeah, right. Four quad one loss. You know, Kansas, Virginia Tech, Miami. Dare I say, I test right. Like I see it. Except they, how will they? How will you perceive their bad losses to Virginia's bad losses? I always view big wins way more than bad losses, way more, because this is about who you are at your best, right? right. Not that impact seed at the, at, you know, at the top of the, like, like if it comes down to, you know, let's say it comes down to Auburn and Baylor, and one of them had a quad four loss, one of them didn't, and they were otherwise. Okay, Th- then, then it's a thing. But look, they, they, these teams all play 35 games. Like Gonzaga notwithstanding last year, nobody goes undefeated because they have to play road games, right, in their league. It just, it's just the, the data and the obvious of, like, no one goes undefeated in their league or it's re- extremely rare for a reason. And it's just as hard for Murray State as it is for, you know, a power conference team in most cases. Be, be, because the challenge each night is relatively uh, the so, so I, I don't think there are a ton of teams that can really help SMU can really help itself. Uh, you know they're right on the edge, uh, and and then you have some teams that just probably did what they had to do yesterday or Saturday, like Carolina, like Michigan, uh, and then teams that that are going to stay right on the edge and can't move like BYU, like BYU is going to be like team 70 for the next 40 years and never move in. It's just the dynamic of how the bubble works. I'm not suggesting that studying the dynamics of how the bubble works should be like a master's level thesis. It really isn't. You but I do get a pretty close look at it. Maybe more than <laughs> yeah. most. 
And then we all we all have an employer. We all have an employer who wants that email, you know, every time somebody misses a layup. Um, and I'd be happy to take any of you off the list. Uh, and any of anybody from our employer who's listening, a halftime score doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we've gotten that request over the years. Does this hurt? You know, yeah. Does this hurt Notre Dame fans? I don't know. It's halftime. Right, right, right. <laughs> Joe, my, my, my question is, uh, you had them first four in uh, with, with Memphis now having swept mm-hmm. the series with Houston and obviously they've won nine of their last 10, 10 of their last 11. Uh, where where do you see the, their seed line in the NCAA tournament? I think they're going to end up. Uh, he, he, here's, my, he, here's my bold uh, prediction if mm-hmm. I were sitting on the game day set. Mm-hmm. I think it's very possible that both Memphis and North Carolina will be in an eight, nine game at this point, the way it's trending. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's at least one of the things I look for is if if you follow the theory that all the number ones don't make it because what it's happened one time. So you can bet that, or you can not bet that. Uh, I might look at which ones are with Memphis and, Carolina, because, you know, those teams have players that can yes. win that game, not four out of seven, but one out of one, one out of one, they can. Uh, and, and you've probably all been on or coach teams that were on the, both the right end of that one out of one and on the wrong end of that one out of one. So, yeah, I should have added Memphis to the team, obviously, that the needle the most yesterday and you know if i'm in the room the eye test for them is worth at least one and probably more one seed line and i'll go out on a limb here and say i would bet a small amount uh well i'd bet a mortgage payment if it was seth's but i bet a small (laughs) amount that the committee will not give enough eye test members. Joe, you're the best. We'll bring you back maybe after. Uh, you know, make sure you wash out that lid you wear on top of your head so you know, it looks good. <laughs> yeah, so, I know. I can't help know it. We know that. We know, we just, know that. You're really a member of the club. You just don't let people know that. Well, I love you guys. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad to, to be a part of what we do. Uh, because, it, you know, we... I like I like to say we could have real jobs. I'm with you. The best, Joe. Thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Yes, yes. See you soon. <laughs>